Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of This Is Me, This Is Us. I am Melinda, and I will be hosting this podcast. This first episode, I kind of just wanted to dive into who I am, um, what I suffer from mental illness-wise, and what I have been victim to in my life, but I'm now surviving. Um, So I am a 26-year-old bipolar schizophrenic. I suffer from PTSD, depression, anxiety. I also have a disassociation disorder. Um, I kind of zone out a lot and um, don't really realize like what's going on around me. Um, That's why it's very hard for me to focus a lot of the time. So stay with me on this episode. You'll probably hear a lot of ums. You'll probably hear a lot of pausing. It is just because I cannot focus. I want to do this podcast as real as possible. Um, I don't really want to do much edits. Um, I kind of just want to let it flow. And again, I'm sorry if you hear a lot of ums and a lot of pausings. It is very, very hard for me to focus on things. I mean, if I think too much about it, I will never get through it. So bear with me. So yes, as I said, I, you know, I'm 26. I'm a bipolar schizophrenic, PTSD, anxiety, depression, a disassociation disorder. Um, I suffered from child sexual assault when I was younger sexual abuse as I got older, rape as a teenager, and domestic abuse as I got older. Um, It was very much verbal, emotional, mental, and physical, sadly, as well. But again, all forms of abuse, one is not worse than the other. It is all not okay. So this first episode, I'm going to kind of be talking about um, kind of when I realized something was different about me. Um, I kind of realized you know, what's going on in my mind? What's going on with the things I see, the things I hear? Is this normal? Is it not normal? But being so young when I kind of figured it out, um, I didn't realize what mental illness was. And I didn't have a supportive group of people in my life and in my family that I could kind of go to and talk to. Um, My family was never never really close-knit like that. Like, we loved each other, but we weren't... um, we weren't close enough or emotional enough, I guess, with each other um, to be able to talk about things. So I kind of dealt with them on my own at such a young age. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about um, my first child sexual assault um, situation. Um, So a little disclaimer for this podcast, I'm going to be explicit and graphic and very real in my life, but I will not go into detail about the child sexual assault or the rape. Um, I will explain enough for you to be able to understand what I'm talking about, but I will not go into full detail. Um, When I get into kind of my mental illnesses and the things that I did because of them um, and the domestic assault that I went through for the years that I did, I will get into detail about those because... The mental illness is the main reason I'm making this podcast. Um, I will get very into detail about those things. But again, any of the sexual assaults, I just out of respect for myself and not wanting to relive those and not wanting to kind of trigger people who listen to this that have been through it. Um, I just I won't go into very much detail. So, yeah, I grew up with. My mom and my dad, they're still together. They've been together my whole life. Um, My mom was 15. My dad was 21 when I was born. I have a younger brother and I have an older sister. So when I was about four years old, um, I had this aunt who, her name was Aunt Sue. 
loved, loved, loved her, loved being with her. She was my aunt on my dad's side. So she was his aunt. So she was my great aunt, I guess that would be. So I would go over there and spend time with her. She had a little room in her trailer for us kids with beds. And I remember a dollhouse and toys. And we would just hang out there. And I loved being around her. So one day, me and my sister were there. Um, I don't remember my brother being there. Again, I was four years old. My sister would have been six and my brother would have been two. I don't remember him being there. I really don't think that he was there at all. But it was definitely just me and my sister, my Aunt Sue. And she had a son named BJ. Um, BJ was over 18, you guys. So again, any age difference doesn't matter. Assault is assault. I don't care if you're the same age. I don't care if you're younger, older. Assault is assault and it is wrong. But again, I was four. BJ was over 18 years old. So I remember my Aunt Sue left to go somewhere again. A lot of my memory is cloudy because I was four. Um, but I'll let you know everything that I do remember. Um, so she left BJ was watching us. I believe it was summertime outside because me and my sister only had on like tank tops and shorts. My sister had on a tank top and shorts. I had on a tank top and a pair of underwear. Um, that wouldn't really matter in any story, but with this story, that's what matters. Um, so yeah, Sue left and BJ was watching us. I remember being in the bedroom and BJ came in and told me and my sister to lay down. Parts of the story I will skip over because it is my sister's story to tell if she chooses to do so. Um, so I personally, I do not know what happened to my sister that day. I was not over in that area when that happened. But even if I did know, again, it is not my story to tell. So I'm going to leave that out of it. BJ told us to lay down. And I remember at four years old, I was scared. And I didn't feel scared like he told us to lay down because we were in trouble type of scared. Um, I felt scared like he's going to do something to me that I don't like scared. And now that I'm older and I'm sitting here and I'm saying these things, it makes me think like, why did I feel that way? You know, when an adult tells you to lay down, most kids don't feel the fear that I felt. So now I'm wondering, did other things happen to me that I don't remember because I was so young? Um, and that, that scares me because what if things happen to me that I don't remember or I don't know? I always think, is it better that I don't know so that there's not more trauma that I have to deal with? Or is it kind of bad that I don't know because I should know everything that happens to me in life? So I'm kind of stuck on that. But I remember being very fearful. We weren't doing anything wrong. I wasn't scared I was going to get in trouble. I, I, you know, I wasn't scared I was in a timeout. I was scared, like, what is he gonna do to us so my sister was in one bed I was in the other he made sure we were in different beds um he went over to my sister's bed and I don't know what happened um again if I did it's not my story to tell but I genuinely do not know what happened on that side of the bed but I remember laying on my stomach because he told me to lay on my stomach and I had my hands under my head kind of just laying on my hands thinking and I remember just thinking like what's he doing what's going on he comes over to me, you know, sits down, pats my back, rubbing my back, telling me how pretty I am and how much he loves me. And he wanted me to tell him that I loved him too, which now they think about it is disgusting. And I had a little hole in my underwear and he decided to put his finger in that hole in the like butt of my underwear, touching me how he shouldn't, had me flip over on my back. 
And on top of my underwear and inside of my underwear was rubbing me and doing things that he shouldn't be doing. So again, I'm not going to go into great detail, but from what I'm telling you, you can understand and imagine what happened. So I remember hearing kind of a car pull up in the driveway and he kind of got scared. Seems like he got agitated, like he didn't want to stop, but he had to. Um, And I remember hearing the door open. He had kind of ran into the living room, like towards the kitchen um, at that time. (coughs) Excuse me. So I remember being in the room and he told us to get up and play and don't say anything, shut your mouth. So my Aunt Sue comes in um, with bags of things. I don't remember if it was groceries. I guess that doesn't really matter in the story. Um, But I kind of just always think about details for things. So bear with me there. And she comes in and she sits on the couch and she's yelling for me and my sister. And I remember I ran in. And I wrapped my arms around her neck and I just hugged her and I squeezed her so tight. And I remember her asking me what, what was wrong. And I don't know why to this day. It's going to make me get emotional, you guys. Prepare for that in every episode. You'll probably hear me crying. But again, I'm going to be very real. I'm not going to trim this. I'm not going to edit this. I'm not going to cut it out. You're going to get what you get. Because I don't want to be one of those people that kind of edit out emotion or edit out um kind of pauses in their story this is real this is my real life this is what other people have gone through and it should not be edited because we cannot edit our story I don't want to have to edit this out so I don't I don't know why I didn't say anything but I remember just hugging her tight and me and Brandy which is my sister for those that don't know we never said anything in that moment at least never said anything So I don't remember much um, about BJ and Sue and them kind of years after. Um, I do, however, my Aunt Sue, I've learned as I got older, was a drug addict. I did not know then because I was so young. So I believe that we were kind of split away from her just to kind of keep us away from the drugs and things. So, you know, years go by. I don't see anything. I don't see them. Mind you, let's fast forward to when I was 18, and then we'll go back. When I was 18, I was driving in a car with my mom past a store in my hometown. And I was in the passenger seat. My mom was driving. And on the car to our right, so the driver's seat would kind of be, like, right next to mine, um, was BJ driving. And I remember being scared, like, what? the hell you know what the hell like getting kind of you know scared and nervous again like wow that you know this is the man that did these things to me when I was younger mind you fast forward a couple more years BJ ended up going I don't know if he's still in now he ended up going to prison for raping his girlfriend at the time's four-year-old daughter and he called the police on himself and told on himself so it's it's so scary because you did that to me when I was four Now we go when I'm probably in my 20s and you rape a little girl that is four years old and you call the police on yourself and you tell yourself, tell on yourself, sorry. So it's just wild to me that all those years this man was still continuing to do these things. So let's go back. So get older, you know, I'm year five comes, year six comes. And when I was seven years old, I had an aunt and an uncle, and this is where it gets very touchy. This man is now deceased, um, which do I care? No, I don't. He is a child sexual predator, so I do not care. Um, 
People can hate me for that. I would hope people would understand that I personally don't care. Um, when this man died, I little side note, I went to his funeral. He died about three years ago, I think. And I went to his funeral. Mind you, he's my uncle. So my family's there. You know, his grandkids are there. His wife, his kids, everybody's there. And I, everybody's crying. Everybody's hugging each other. I mean, I felt bad for the emotion that those people felt. But when I, I decided to go to his casket, and when I tell you all those years later, I was shaking and so scared, even though this man was laying in a casket dead, I was shaking. My boyfriend at the time, who was my kid's father, went with me. He knew that these, you know, all these things that had happened to me in life, I'd expressed and told him everything. He goes with me and supported me, and I wanted to go, and I wanted to kind of look at this man lifeless in a coffin and curse his body honestly tell him how much I hated him but when I went up to that casket I was so scared I didn't know what to say I said a quick little sentence kind of to him under my breath and we left um and I was crying really bad and everybody's hugging thinking like I'm sad when really I was so scared of this lifeless body still in this casket, which is crazy the effect that he had on me. So from the time I was seven years old until about nine years old, man, guys, I'm getting nervous. I don't know if I want to say this man's name, but I'm going to go for it. Um, If family hear it, I'm sorry that this is the way that you have to hear who this person was, Um, but I am not sorry for saying my story. So I had an uncle named Uncle Joe. He was my grandfather's sister's husband. And I used to go over to their house while my mom worked. And I used to play video games on the computer. I used to stay the night there a couple times. Um, They would really just watch me in the summer and, you know, in the school years for those two years. Um, And this man, I don't know why I'm getting nervous, you guys. This is wild. So, like, I'm sure you can hear it. I'm out of breath. I'm kind of scared. So this man started out um, kind of having me sit on his lap. Again, I was seven years old when this started. And I had already went through something traumatic at four years old. Um, But again, at seven, when it happened at four, it wasn't on my mind as heavy. It was kind of like, oh, that happened. That was scary. Okay, now I'm going to go play. You know, like it wasn't um, anything that kind of stuck to me as it does now that I'm older and can process what the trauma was and what happened to me. So he used to start off by kind of having me sit on his lap and rub my legs, like my thighs, inside of my thighs, um, tell me I was pretty, that he loved me. And I was kind of his favorite when, when we were over there. You know, he had this one chair that he sat in. It was his chair. It was Uncle Joe's chair. Don't sit in it, you know. And he would let me sit in his chair. He'd let me sit on his lap in the chair, play on the computer at his chair when other people, you know, didn't really play on those computers he had other computers for them but I you know he made me feel special so then it progressed to when he would give me kisses goodbye he would kiss me on my lips and when he kissed me on my lips like it lasted longer than it should and then it progressed to okay he's gonna put his tongue in my mouth a little bit when he kisses me um and then it went to okay he's gonna have me sit on his lap and then he's gonna kind of rub my private area over my shorts um, I could clearly feel that he was aroused again as a child. You don't understand. But now that I'm older and I think back on it, he was aroused. I could feel it. And 
then he would start putting his hands under my shorts in the chair. Um, his wife had a little computer room in the next room. So if we were in the living room, she wouldn't have been able to see him from her computer room. So he kind of had free range to do what he wanted without somebody seeing. And to this day, I really don't know how she didn't know. Um, sometimes I kind of feel like she did know and she didn't say anything. Um, because I don't see how this is happening under your roof and you don't, you don't see it. You know what I mean? Or when he kisses me goodbye and everybody's right there, you don't see this man kissing me for too long. You know, it was... It was a weird situation. So, yeah, I started, you know, progressed to him putting his hand under my shorts um, and touching me. And I would stay the night over there some nights. And his bathroom was diag- diagonal from this little, like, guest room that we would sleep in. There was a mattress on the floor. Um, me and my brother stayed the night there one night. My brother slept against the wall. And I slept, you know, on the out- outside of the bed. And he left the guest door open. And you can see the bathroom from there. And... He decided to change in the bathroom instead of his room that day, left the door open with the bright lights on and took his pants off and all his clothes off and looked at me as he did it and was touching himself. As I seen him, I got scared. I put my head over the blanket or I'm sorry, under the blanket. After he puts his pajama pants and stuff on, he comes into the room to quote unquote, tell us he loves us and good night. And when he did, he said that by the look of me it made him happy made him feel good and that's why his private parts looked the way they did and um again there was that that fear that's that scary feeling I felt when I was you know four when BJ did those things to me I was just thinking this is happening again and why is this continuing to happen to me you know why why from four to seven years old am I being picked again for someone to to touch and to take advantage of I felt now when I look back I feel like like I had a target you know like people who do those things to children like they they target people who they feel will or will not tell and who are timid and shy like they they target these children and I really felt at that time I had a target on my back so you know you did what he did, touched me. Um, a little side note, this man never raped me. Um, so there was no intercourse. Um, but everything that was done to me was wrong, was not right. Um, so that night in that bed, you know, he did things inside of my body and outside of my body that he should not have done to a seven-year-old. Um, this went on for two years, you guys, from seven to nine years old and when I was nine years old um my grandpa Wayne my father's dad had passed away um and we were kind of moving houses at the time you know moving schools at the time trying to get away from kind of the neighborhood and the house that I lived in at the time um just trying to I guess get away from my grandfather's memory of passing away you know we lived in that home with him and I think we just wanted a fresh start and wanted, you know, somewhere else to live. So at that time, I wasn't going over to Joe's house anymore. Um, I wasn't seeing him anymore. But yet I still never told. And I, to this day, guys, I, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why I never spoke up. I don't know why I didn't say anything. A lot of people, you know, that hear stories like this, which here's a stereotype about it, you know, um, 
if you don't speak up and tell, it's probably not true. You know, I, I hear that a lot. But you don't understand when you're four years old, when you're seven to nine years old, when you're however old you are. I don't even care if, if you're in your 40s. It doesn't matter how old you are. Your instincts are different than other people's. Some people's instincts are to fight back and yell and scream and then go tell. Other people's are fear. And they freeze up and they don't know what to do. And that's in every situation I've been in in my life. That's what happened. Because as children, you know, you see these adults who are doing these things to you. But you're taught that these people love you and they care about you because they're your family. Um, So to you, it's like, well, they love me. Even though they're doing these things that are scaring me or hurting me. They love me. And that really fucks with your mind. So, but I remember when I was about eight years old, um, I was leaving his house and he gave me a kiss on the lips. And I remember I wiped it off. Um, because he kind of put his tongue in my mouth. I remember his tongue touching my gums. And I remember just this creepy, like, goosebump feeling in my skin. And I wiped it. And he had already been doing this stuff for about a year, a year and a half. And I remember I wiped it off. And he said something about me wiping his kiss off. And he kissed me again. And I remember my dad was standing there. And I wiped it. And I was like, that's gross. And that's the most I ever spoke out about it. And I felt so good that I said that. Because I was waiting for my dad to be like, what's well, gross? You know, and I could just say, you know, he put his tongue in my mouth. It just, I could say something. But my dad never said anything. So I remember as we're going outside, my grandparents lived next to Joe. So we were kind of going down the embankment to go to my grandma's house. Um, and I said, he put his tongue in his mouth. I'm sorry. He put his tongue in my mouth when he kissed me. And my dad was like, what? And I was like, he put his tongue in my mouth, dad. Like he, he kissed me and his tongue went in my mouth. And I was waiting for my dad to honestly turn around and go beat his ass or say something to me you know like has he done this before you know where I could just I it was on the tip of my tongue I just wanted to say it all so bad but I was waiting for my dad to be like you know has he done this before what's going on with him and he never said anything but I remember saying this man put his tongue in my mouth and I was shot down and it was kind of like all right let's go to grandma's house whatever Um, and it was crazy to me because I had always heard things about Joe, like giving people the creeps and people thought that he, you know, had touched kids before or touched his grandkids before, um, but still chose to allow me around this man, still chose to let him babysit me. And that is the most wildest thing to me to hear these rumors about somebody and then hear your child say something about this person and still continue to allow them to go over there I don't know if they were in denial or I I honestly don't know guys I'm 26 years old now and I still still don't know so getting into the mental illness kind of part that's why I wanted to tell those two stories um because I that's a lot of trauma and I feel like trauma well I know trauma plays a big role in mental illness um so starting at seven, I believe this was um, like after Joe started to touch me and already after BJ had done so when I was four, um, I'd be in the car with my mom and I would start to hear voices in my head like telling me to jump out of the car, um, take your seatbelt off, jump out of the car, grab the steering wheel. I would hear these things in the car all the time. And it wasn't my voice. It is a woman's voice. It is still the same woman's voice that I hear now. Um, 
And I kept hearing it, but I didn't understand what was going on. And to me at seven, you don't know what bipolar disorder is. You don't know what schizophrenia is. You don't know what any of these things are. So to me, I was like, well, okay, like it might be normal. Maybe everybody, once they hit this age, hears things. So I didn't really say anything to anybody. And in my head, I wasn't going to say anything because when I had spoke up about, you know, things happening to my past, nobody did anything. So why am I going to tell you this? If you didn't do anything about somebody, you know, kissing me on my mouth with their tongue, um, why am I going to tell you I'm hearing things? What are you going to do for me? What's it going to benefit me? How's it going to help me if I tell you, you know, that's how I saw it. So I didn't say anything. Um, and I remember getting just so angry all the time, wanting to hurt people or hurt myself at that age. Like I used to grab my hair and kind of pull my hair and it would hurt, but I liked it at that age. You know, I liked the pain that it brought me, um, I liked the thought that I had of, like, hurting people. Um, Like, I would see people or see girls at school at seven years old, you guys, and be like, I want to beat the shit out of her, you know? Like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to hurt this girl. But another part of me, I did not want to hurt anybody. And I didn't want to hurt myself. But I remember being in the car, you know, and hearing voices tell me to jump out. I remember being at home and my mom would cook. And the voice would be like, go put your hand on the stove. Go grab the knife, chop your finger off. Go grab the knife, cut your throat, you know, cut yourself, hurt yourself. Um, I would be in bed at night and I had bunk beds growing up. And the voice would be like, you know, roll off the top bunk, break, break your neck, jump out of the window. And to me, it was just like, what the fuck? But I just thought it was normal. Ne- nobody ever told me, you know, hey, if you hear these things, that's not normal. Talk to me. Um, my family has a past with mental illness. So these things were actually a normality in my family on my mother's side. Um, but they were never spoken to me like, hey, if the- these things are going on with you, let us know. So years go by, you know, I'm hearing these things, I'm seeing these things. I started seeing things, you guys. So I'd be in my room and I'd see somebody walk past the hallway. I'd see somebody. Now, it wasn't a full person. Um, It was kind of like an outline and a black figure. Um, Like black face, everything like blacked out. There was no eyes, there was no nose. It was blacked out. But the silhouette was of a person. As I got older, it turned into animals and other things as well. Um, But younger, it was just kind of a silhouette of a person. So, you know, I'd be in bed and I'd see somebody or see this quote-unquote person kind of look around the corner at me um, really fast. And I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me, you know, and see it walk down the hallway. I'd be in bed. I would feel like I felt somebody sit on the edge of my bed. And I remember expressing these things like, yo, I had this crazy dream last night and I woke up and I felt like somebody was on my bed or thought I saw somebody in the hallway or I would hear clapping. You know, I'd be at home alone and I'd hear somebody in the living room like clapping their hands real loud and I would think that somebody was home and I'd go in there and there'd be nobody there. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. So... Again, these things were kind of normal to me. And when I would speak out about them, like, hey, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this. Nobody said, adults, you guys, No, nobody said, that's not normal. What's going on with you? You know, like, what are you hearing? What do you see? Nobody said anything. It was kind of like, oh, you're imagining it. Oh, it was a dream. Nobody took me seriously. 
And I think that's where it really messed me up a lot is because growing up, you need that adult support to support you and help you and get you help and believe you and understand you. And I did not have that for anything that I've ever been through sexual assault wise, domestic wise, mental illness wise. I did not have a parental support system or just a family support system to believe me. Um, So I still struggle with that now, um, thinking that if I tell people things, they're not going to believe me. So that definitely is a traumatic end of it all is you need that support. And if you don't have it, it's hard for you to heal. So yeah, back to that. I, I remember hearing these things and seeing these things and growing up and as a teenager, um, the anger kind of bipolar part of it started to happen more, um, my parents would say simple things to me like, go do the dishes, go clean your room. And I remember being so angry, like slamming doors, punching walls, so angry about being told to do the simplest thing to where like I would buck up on my dad as a kid. Like, no, I'm not doing shit like in his face. And he thought I was just being like a bad teenager, you know, ground me, yell at me. I got spanked as a kid, you know, um, I even just spanked. I got like hit with the belt, like all over my body type shit from family. So I was just angry and I didn't understand. And every time they asked me like, why are you so angry? What's going on? I would say, I didn't know. And they'd be like, you have to know why you're mad. You have to know. But I genuinely didn't know. I didn't understand why I was so angry. I would go to school and things would happen and I would just want to I I would want to and I would just punch people in their face. You know, people would fuck with my brother or fuck with me. And I would just walk into classrooms and just punch people in their face and fight all the time. I remember being in cooking class as a teenager and my friend, she was my friend, didn't want to do dishes in cooking class. And I was telling her like, yo, you're pissing me off. You need to get up and do the dishes or it's going to be a problem. And I kept telling her, I'm sorry. At the same time, that's what's so crazy to me is I felt like my body was taken over. One part of me was angry, screaming at her, telling her I was about to fuck her up. And the other part of me was, Brittany, I love you. I'm I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm acting like that. Like, please forgive me. Um, and it's sad to think about now because there's probably friendships that maybe ended or were kind of... I don't know, messed up a little because of the way that I was. Um, And I sincerely apologize to those people now, but I really was going through a lot as a teenager, you know, being molested at those young ages and speaking out a little bit about it and not getting help um, to starting to hear voices and see things and be angry and not understand what's going on with my body. It's a lot. By the time I, let's say, by the time I was 16 years old, I had been sexually molested three separate times. Or I'm sorry, at least by three separate people. You know, when I was four, when I was seven to nine. And when I was 12, a friend of mine's brother, I was, again, 12. He was 18 or 19 at the time. And he was touching me, came into the living room during our sleepover and touched me and did things to me you shouldn't have did and I remember the next morning I had told my friend about it like I went home and then I came back and I was telling her about it you know I sat down with her and 
was like, look, this is what your brother did. Um, I love you, but like, I have to tell you. And that was the first time that I had ever spoke out about anything that I've had that has happened to me in my life. And I remember her telling me, like, I don't believe you. My brother would never do that and telling me to leave her house. Um, and I wasn't friends with her for a while after that. And that's what's so hard for people like who want to speak out is because when they finally do, um, sometimes they're not believed and they're shot down. And then it kind of stops you from wanting to speak up anymore or say anything else because it's like, okay, the first time I'm speaking up and I'm not believed and I'm not heard and I'm not understood and I'm not helped. So why would I speak up anymore? You know? So yeah, from the time I was 16, I was sexually assaulted <coughs> by three different people. So age four, age seven to nine, age 12. At 16, I was raped. I will not go into detail about that. Um, never told anybody the names of the people that did it. I will never. Um, yeah, I started hearing voices and seeing things when I was seven. Anger issues came um, pre-teenage to teenage age. I put that along with trauma, PTSD, and being bipolar, schizophrenic. And at that time, I didn't know what that was because I was not diagnosed until I was 22. But at 16, that is a lot to be dealing with. Um, and a lot to process at such a young age, you know. And at 16, I finally spoke out to my mother about the things that happened to me as a kid one night I sat on my bed crying and she came in and I just told her I told her everything now this was before I was raped so I wasn't able to tell her that um but at this point in my life I really don't care that I didn't get to tell her that um because I spoke out about BJ and Joe and when I was you know 12 with my friend's brother and the things I was seeing and I was hearing and I I just I let it all out for almost an hour, I just, I just said it all. My dad was downstairs and I just spoke it all and I just got it all out and I was so happy. I was so happy that I got to say what happened. And the emotional disconnect that I've really always had with my mom my whole life. Um, my mom's not really an I love you type of mom. She's not a emotionally connected type of mom. It was kind of like, uh, I'll feed you, I'll raise you. I'll get you what you want, you know, and um, that's really it. Now, I know my mom loves me, um, but I just don't think she was emotionally capable of showing that love to me for whatever reason. I don't know if it was because she was a young mother or if maybe things happened to her in her life. I Or maybe she wasn't raised to be, you know, like a lovey person. I don't know, but um, I was never shown that by her. So when I said all these things when I was 16, I kind of expected her to jump into action. Um, and now that I look back on it, I don't know why I expected her to. Um, but she didn't do anything. I, was, I wasn't expecting an I'm sorry because she wasn't the person that did that to me. But, I, you know, like a motherly, now that I'm a mom, you know, if my kids came to me and told me that, I would be like, I'm so sorry that happened. And I would jump into action. Um, I got no, I'm sorry. And the only thing that I got was 
don't tell your father because this will start family drama. This will start a family issue. This will start a family fight and your dad will get in trouble. Basically, like, don't say anything because then your dad's going to go hurt these people and he's going to go to jail and we don't want your dad to go to jail, right? That's kind of how it was. Um, and then she walked out of my room and she went downstairs and I remember her only telling my dad about like when I was a preteen and I was touched like about my friend's brother like she told him that like oh wow Lynn just told me this and I remember my dad questioning her not believing not coming upstairs like what the fuck happened to you it was more of shutting me down like oh are you sure that happened you know um and I went downstairs to get dinner later on that night and my dad was trying to ask me what me and my mom talked about my mom was behind him at the microwave she was kind of giving me a look you know like don't say anything type of look um and that was really sad to me and that really hurt because all I wanted to do was tell him in hopes that he would help me and mind you my dad was still going over to Joe's house and fixing his car and stuff like that um they would come to our house sometimes not the house that we lived at when I told my mom this but like prior years like they'd come over and stuff like that um family events and stuff I was around him funerals for my family I was around him and it's like my mom knew um my dad had no idea I was just fixing this man's car and going around this man um and that type of trauma, when you finally speak out and nothing's done, that really fucks with you. Still as an adult, I look back like, why was I not helped? You know, when I finally spoke out, why, why was something not done? Why did I not deserve the help is, is what I still think. And I have to still find myself on that, that I did deserve the help. And I should have had the help. And the things that happened to me should not have happened to me. And that they are wrong and were wrong. Um, and I think my psychiatrist actually for telling me those things. Because at 22 when I first met my psychiatrist. Um, he was the first person to tell me. These things that happened to you are not normal. They are wrong. They will always be wrong. And I am so sorry that they happened to you and somebody should have helped you. And at 22 years old, you guys, mind you, I was four years old when this stuff started with me. 22 or 23 years old was the first time I heard anybody say that is not normal and that is wrong. And that baffled me because as an adult, I knew that those things were wrong. Um... I knew that they were wrong that they happened to other people but with me I always felt like I had a target on my back and like whoop maybe I was just made for these things you know maybe I was made for people to take advantage of and beat up and molest and rape and hurt maybe that's who I maybe that's who I was made to be you know maybe in a past life I was not an okay person and this was my punishment I genuinely felt like that and sometimes I still do but at 22 23 years old I was finally told for the first time in my life what happened to me was wrong um and emotionally that was wild to me because i had finally be, been able you know to put this guard down and just let out this emotion and this sadness and anger and i was able to finally feel at peace like wow you know somebody other than me finally 
knows and understands that this is not okay. Um, and that was a roller coaster for me. You know, not having the support, going through those things, not feeling loved, not feeling heard, not feeling cared about, feeling like a target and like trash at such a young age um, built up a lot of anger. And then you put mental illness on top of that. And it's a roller coaster for sure. Um, wow, you guys, that was a lot for a first episode. Um, sorry, I kind of rambled on there, you guys, but this is what this is about. You know, this first episode, um, and I'm sure the second or even third episode is really going to be me sharing my whole story. Um, so bear with me on that. I'm going to express my story, my timeline of mental illness and trauma. I'm going to explain those in the next couple of episodes. Um, and then after that, we're going to get down to the stereotypes of mental illness, um, the stigma behind it. We're going to dig into domestic assault, you know, on men and women, you know, how people judge people for those things, how people don't believe people with certain things. Um, and maybe we'll even talk about a little relationship stuff sexuality things you know we'll we'll dive into everything let me know if you want to hear about anything other than the mental illness and the trauma um if you want to just talk about normal uh you know daily life things if you want to talk about things going on in the world if you want me to talk about that stuff you know hit me up on social media let me know about it um but i really want to again i really wanted the next few episodes kind of dive into who i am as a person um, things in my life and what molded me into who I am today. And then we're going to break down each mental illness. We're going to break down the stereotypes, um, what comes with it, um, kind of how I deal with it, how others deal with it. Um, and then we'll get into more of the trauma aspect of things. And we're going to really break this down and we're going to break walls and we're going to, we're going to get into it. And I hope that I am able to touch people, um, Touch your hearts and how you've been through things that I've been through and to let you know that you are not alone. And I am here. Other people are here for you. You are heard. You are believed. You are loved. And just know any of these things that have ever happened to you are not right. They are wrong and you do not. You do not deserve these things. Until next time, guys. Love you.